This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Well, it's uh, 720 here in Idaho. It's a little bit warmer than it is where you are, it sounds like. Uh, but it's a beautiful morning. It's uh, sunrise. I can look right into it. Um, so uh, welcome to all of you. Our second reading of scripture this morning is taken from 1 John 2, verses 18 through 27, and then chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Let us listen to the reading of God's holy word. John writes, children, it is the last hour. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But by going out, they made it plain that none of them belongs to us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and you know that no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Everyone who confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. I write these things to you concerning those who would deceive you. As for you, the anointing that you have you received from him abides in you. And so you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in him. And then in chapter four, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming. And now it is already in the world. Little children, you are from God and have, and have conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for this day that you have made, and we are so grateful for the gift of life that enables us to join together even through the miles through Zoom. We pray that you would illumine our hearts 
illumine my mouth as we consider today these truths in John's letter. And so we ask for your blessing now upon us. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As you well know, a word that has become very common in our conversations, in our thoughts during this pandemic is the word testing. Ever since the pandemic started uh, last year, earlier last year, and manifested itself in the United States, we have been talking about the need for testing, for more testing, for better testing, to find out who may have the virus. Medical professionals, as you know, have been telling us all along that one of the best ways to get a handle on this pandemic until we have access to a vaccine, which fortunately now slowly we are, are getting, is to test regularly and often, especially those people who are experiencing any kind of symptoms. As you know, many because so many carriers of the virus are asymptomatic, they have no they have no visible signs or symptoms of the virus. The only real way to tell who has been exposed and who hasn't is to test for it. Now, I have to admit that when this pandemic started and the medical community emphasized the need for more testing, I didn't fully understand why it was so critical. I didn't understand really the importance, the important role testing has in stopping the spread of the virus. But as the pandemic has raged on over these many months, it has become very clear to me, and I'm sure to most, if many, if not most people, why testing is so important. In our scripture lesson this morning from 1 John, the Apostle John also emphasizes the need for testing not testing to find out whether we've been exposed to a virus or not, but testing to determine whether we have been exposed to false teaching. Now, one of the reasons John wrote this letter was because he was concerned about teachers in the churches that he ministered to and served in some capacity who were teaching things that John felt distorted the faith received through the apostles and through the Holy Spirit. And in these verses, John reminded them, and I think he reminds us, that false teachers, antichrists, as he calls them, and their teaching can be very harmful. And we need to be aware of them and be very discerning of the things they teach. You will notice that John says in verse 19 that these these false teachers went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they had, would have remained with us. In verses 21 and 22, he calls them liars and deceivers who at one time belonged to the community of faith, but no longer do, or at least they're not teaching the faith that was, um, they had received from the apostles and from others. And John was especially concerned 
about what these, some of these false teachers were teaching about Jesus. These false teachers were denying the incarnation of Jesus and the Trinitarian relationship between the Father and the Son. Look again at what John says in verse 23. He says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Everyone who confesses the Son has the Father also. So John doesn't go into a lot of detail exactly what this teaching was, but he gives us enough hint of it by just some of the short phrases and comments that he makes. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time this morning to go into all of the detail of what all this means. This is a rich theological passage. We could spend a lot of time just unpacking what it is that John is concerned about, but we do get some hint of it here. But the point I wanna make is simply this, just as in John's day, so also in our day, sincere people have beliefs about Jesus that sometimes look very harmless and even compatible with Christianity, but in reality do not always follow historic Christian belief. Now, an example of this came into my mailbox just this last week. I received an unsolicited letter in the mail from a woman named Carrie, who is, lives in a community, a neighboring community to where we are here, who is a member of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And along with the letter that Carrie sent, she also included a copy of their magazine, The Watchtower. I'm sure some of you are probably familiar with The Watchtower. Um, they publish a lot of these and you see them often in doctor's offices and in public places. Uh, they hand them out on the street, you know, when they go door to door and that sort of thing. And I realized that I don't really know a lot about the Jehovah's Witnesses, so I decided to go online and find out a little more about what they believe and especially about what they believe about Jesus. And so I went on a number of Jehovah's Witness websites and other places, and I found out the following. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is not equal with God. Uh, they teach that Jesus was created by God, but not coexistent with him. JW.org, which is their uh, main website, uh, says this, says, we take Jesus at his word when he says the father is greater than I am. So we do not worship Jesus and we do not believe that he is almighty God. Jehovah's Witnesses, I discovered, deny the Trinity, do not believe in the Trinity as most Christians do, and they believe that Jesus was not co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, but was created by the Father. Now, this, of course, goes again what John himself says in his gospel when he writes these words, some of my favorite words in the New Testament. John says, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, that's who he's referring to, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, John 1, um, 1 and 2. John says that Jesus was not created, but has always been co-eternal with the Father from the very beginning. Now, the point here is not to pick on Jehovah's Witnesses or any particular group. 
Frankly, I admire their willingness to share their faith door to door and mailbox to mailbox as they do. But their view of Jesus is not an historic Christian view. I recently ran across a report from the Barna Research Group that asked Americans what they believe about Jesus. And it was a fascinating study. They do this all the time. They ask people, what do you believe? And according to their research, the younger generations especially are 48% less likely to believe Jesus uh, is God uh, than, than older generations do. And a third of them believe he was merely a religious leader or spiritual leader, but m nothing more. In fact, the comment that uh, David Kinnaman, the president of Barna Research Group said is that a lot of younger people particularly um, are unfriending Jesus. They friended him and now they're unfriending him in terms of his divinity. Another study revealed that 52% of Americans, adults, generally believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but not divine in any way. What all of this is saying to us, I think, is simply this. There are many sincere people, even sincere Christians, who are confused about Jesus, who he was, and what he came to do. Now, many Bible commentators believe that the false teaching that John is concerned about in his letter here was an early form of what later became known as Gnosticism. Uh, uh, Gnosticism comes from the Greek gnosis or knowledge. Gnosticism, in a brief nutshell, suggested that the spiritual world is bad and evil, but the material world, the physical world, is uh, the, the spiritual world is good and pure, but the physical world is bad and evil. And because the physical world is evil and corrupt, we need to be liberated from it. We need to be to escape from this evil physical world into the pure spiritual world. Now that's that's oversimplifying Gnosticism, but there's that general kind of feeling that the physical world is bad, spiritual world is pure, and somehow we need to escape this, this uh, physical world to that pure spiritual world. And many Gnostics, early Gnostics at that time of John were believing uh, that a person is saved from this physical or material world, not through Jesus, but through some secret knowledge of some sort. Gnosis means knowledge, some secret knowledge or revelations that would help you escape or be saved from this world. Now, John believed that this Gnostic teaching was hitting at the very heart of Christian faith, and especially the question, how are we saved from our sins? Is it through secret knowledge? as some of the Gnostics, these early Gnostics were teaching, or is it through Jesus Christ? John reminds them that some false teaching is more damaging than others, and especially teaching that does not affirm that Jesus is God come physically to us in the flesh. Now, all of you know Tom Brady is going to the Super Bowl again for what? 10th time? Is it the 10th time or 11th time? He's not going as a New England Patriot, but as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. 
And Debbie, Debbie and I watched the game last week, as I'm sure many, if not most of you did. And when we saw that Brady was going to the Super Bowl in a different uniform, we were sure we heard a collective sigh or gasp from New England. We were thinking, oh, I wonder how everyone is thinking now uh, about this. One of the words that football announcers and commentators on TV often use to describe the play of some of the players is the word physicality, physicality. I'm never quite sure, I've never been quite sure what the word means when an announcer says that a player is playing with physicality. There is some debate as to what that word actually means when it's used in sports. I understand some people think that maybe it has to do with endurance. Others suggest a quality of physical intimidation or intensity. But apparently the word physicality is an actual word. I always thought it was a word that the announcers were making up, but it's an actual word. Dictionary describes physicality as the quality of being physical. Now that tells us a lot, doesn't it? Somebody on a blog I read said this. She said, okay, so basically physicality means being really, really, really physical. So if you're playing a sport, running, throwing, tackling, whatever you, whatever you are doing, it is indeed being physical. But if you're playing really, really hard, then you're playing with physicality. In John 4, 2 and 3, John says, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit confesses Jesus Christ come in the flesh with physicality is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. You may remember that John begins his gospel this way. He says, the word Jesus became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. John 14. In this passage, God came to us in Jesus with that quality of being. Now, thinking to yourself, so why is God coming in Jesus in the flesh with physicality so important to John? Why does he make such a big deal of it here? Well, that's a great question, and I'm glad you're asking it, because there are probably several reasons. But certainly, I think at least one reason is because John realizes that only God can save us from our sins. And if the material or the physical world that we live in is evil, as some of the Gnostics were suggesting, then God could not possibly have become physical in the flesh because God hates evil. And if God did not come to us in Jesus in the flesh, then he was not really ever one of us. And if he was never really ever one of us, then he could not really identify with our sinful humanity. And if he could not really identify with our sinful humanity, then he could never really ever save us from our sin. And if he could not really save us from our sin, then his death and his resurrection 
didn't really mean anything. And if his death and resurrection didn't really mean anything, then we are still in our sins and without hope. Now, John doesn't say all that, but I think that's the implication why it's so important when he says that Jesus came in the flesh. Among other things, some of these Gnostic teachers were teaching that since God wants nothing to do with the evil, sinful flesh, then Jesus as God could not have become evil, sinful flesh, could not have become a real human being, could not have, could not have uh, taken on a body, had a physical body, and therefore could not have saved us. Therefore, we need to be saved in some other way. But John affirms for them, and he affirms for us, that Jesus is indeed not only God in the flesh, but he is the only one who can forgive our sins. He is the only one who can give us eternal life. Look again at what he says in verse 25. John says, and this is what he has promised us, eternal life. John says that eternal life comes in and through only one person, Jesus Christ. In verse 22, John affirms that Jesus is indeed the long-awaited Messiah, long-awaited Christ. Messiah is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. And as the Messiah, as the Christ, is the only one who can break the power of sin and offer us this precious eternal life. And John says that we must abide in that truth. Not just believe it, but abide in it. He uses the word abide six times in verses 24 through 28. Finally, John reminds them in chapter 4 that the only way we can tell the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error is to test the spirits. John 4, 1 through 3, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe everything you hear, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God, John says. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. In a nutshell, what John is really saying here when he talks about testing the spirits is this. If we ever have any doubts or questions about a teaching, especially about Jesus, if something doesn't sound right to us theologically, then we need to test it. We need to check it out, find out if it is true or not. I read an article in the newspaper yesterday about a University of Washington study that has determined that Amazon's algorithms on their website are designed or they're personalized to serve up information that people will pay attention to, but not necessarily information that is accurate. And this has especially become a problem with vaccine conspiracy theories. If an Amazon shopper has shown a history of interest in untruthful products, for instance, their search results 
will tend to yield even more information about untruthful health products. If you show interest in one kind of misinformation, the algorithm they use starts recommending more misinformation. And as you probably know, there are a number of vaccine conspiracies that are hot on the web right now. If you are shopping for vaccine conspiracies, you get even more vaccine conspiracies. One such vaccine conspiracy that I heard about recently is that COVID-19 uh, vaccine makers are putting little chips of some kind in their vaccines in order to track where we are and what we are doing. So they're not just trying to deal with the vaccine, they're tracking us. But as someone pointed out, we are already being tracked right now. We call that little tracking device a cell phone. We don't need a vaccine to do that. The article concluded by saying this, don't blindly trust the search results the algorithm is showing you. You should learn to think critically about them. What comes up might be the most relevant, but not necessarily the most trustworthy or credible. And it seems to me that this is exactly what John is saying here and encouraging us to do in these verses. John says that some teaching about Jesus might seem relevant, but it may not be trustworthy or credible. And if it does not feel right, or if it questions the truth of who Jesus was, then we need to be discerning. We need to test it. We need to check it out. And of course, there are a number of ways that we can do this through reading the Bible, through talking with informed Christian friends, through reading good books on theology, studying the historic Christian creeds of the Christian faith and many others, always with the help of the Holy Spirit. What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe he is simply a religious or spiritual leader, a great teacher, but not God? Or do you, with the Apostle John, believe in, abide in the trustworthy and credible truth that Jesus is God come to us in the flesh to save us from our sins so he can offer us hope and eternal life? John says, what we believe about Jesus makes a big difference. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word that instructs our lives. And we pray that you'd help us, give us discerning hearts as we live in this world. And as we hear so many things, especially through the internet and so many other ways today, we ask that you would guide and direct us we are so grateful that Jesus has come in the flesh, has become one of us, and identified with us, and died for us, and risen from the dead for us, that we might have life and have it abundantly. And so we pray that you'd help us to abide in this truth today and every day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.